Welcome back to another episode. This one we wanted to bring in Dr. Edmund Fehoko, but we'll maybe just start off. Edmund, you want to introduce yourself and some of your recent research? I'm Edmund Fehoko from the Mighty Islands within Hawaii, currently residing in Otahu. Current research interest in looking at uh, Pacific addictive behaviors. where I did some research around gambling, and now moving on to the online space. Mahalo. Maybe with the gambling, right? Because this is a sensitive topic to discuss. I guess, wh- why did you decide to do gambling? number of reasons. Um, financially, it was, um, it was an opportunity to carry out, um, as a result of some uh, funding, but also it's an activity that's almost destroying uh, Pacific families across Aotearoa and wanted to capture a Pacific male uh, insight into this but also where there was evident in time the fact that you know a lot of our Pacific people have migrated from the islands whether they have also migrated with these afflictive behaviours which is then amplified here in New Zealand and so and also capture intergenerational view where um, I collected data with uh, New, Z- New Zealand-born uh, Tongans and looking at whether gambling was also transmitted from one generation to another. What were the, uh, some of the things that you, you found then in regards to that? Like, Yep, um, it wasn't so much intergenerational, it was intra-generational, uh, where all uh, fathers in my study uh, migrated from Tong. They've all expressed how the gambling behaviour started in Tonga. Uh, and then in New Zealand, you see the rise of online gambling uh, with our young ones. And so there's, a, there's a, uh, a big shift from face-to-face gambling to the online space. You know, raising the, edu- the awareness and educating our people around that is a big thing at the moment. So. Well, raising awareness though, right? Like, especially around a sensitive topic such as gambling. Hmm you know, can, can create a bit of controversy at times within communities. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, the difficulty of confronting, you know, challenging issues that maybe, you know, people don't want to necessarily confront. Mm-hmm. What, what was your experience with that? Uh, thankfully, I had used the fight cover as a means to um, bridge that gap. And the fact that you had men who were willing to share their stories and then having young people having the heart to share their experiences within gambling that started at home, that started at school. Majority of the time was around, it was just social activities and then just playing cards, um, rolling the dice. The fact that they were winning kind of gave, the, gave them that sense of achievement but also risk. And as, as Tongans, we are risk takers and we tend to push boundaries to, to the extent of giving our all. You know, and, and so it's highlighted in the value that Queen Salote talks about uh, called mamahi mea, you know, a willing heart to do things. And so when we, when we engage in certain things, whether it's formal or informal, we have a willing heart to do it. And hence why when, you know, Tongans gamble, that there's a willing heart to give it our all. Whether you have $2, $20, you know, you just you tend to chuck everything in. So. Big problem.
So, you're talking about winning and giving your all in it, but then there's a, something unique about this community and why they want to gamble, I mm. think, compared to maybe mainstream understandings of gambling and people maybe wanting to win for themselves or maybe their immediate family. Mm. But you're talking about a community who wants to win in order to give beyond that, yeah? Yeah. So what were some of the reasons why people wanted to win big? Uh, in my study, I coined this concept called cultural gambling, where our people were, uh, they were, they were gambling to prove a point. Whatever funds they received from, as a result of their gambling behavior was then to elevate their status and rank in whatever event or whatever purpose they were gambling for. So you, you'll see a, a truckload of Tongans or other Pacific people go into gambling activities with the hope to win money, to to elevate their status. And you'll, you'll see it in the way, in language. Um, you'll see it in when a Tongan addresses someone that has a lot of money, just a shift of language from commoners to nobility language. Um, you know, you move from Maloe Lele to Maloe Laumari. And that's just the respect that commoners will give people who are wealthy in the, in the hierarchical society they will live in. That the emerging tier of the middle class, that although it's been around for years, but it's now amplified as a result of money. Um, traditionally, it was only known for uh, education, you know, hence why we pride ourselves with the PhDs. And then government leaders, and then church ministers. So if you're not religious, if you're not educated, or if you're not political, then you, money is seen, is seen as the way to elevate your status. And you'll see it when people gamble for long hours to try and make money uh, to carry out their fatongi or the responsibilities at a misnale or at a birthday or at a wedding or whatever activity it is. As an outsider, you may see it extravagant, but behind the scenes, there's been a lot of sweat and tears. So uh, that's just one aspect of it. So you, you bring up uh, in that misinale, mm. and that was uh, one of the topics that was in the documentary uh, "My Father's Kingdom" mm. by Bea Mafileo. And you know that that documentary kind of demonstrates all of the sacrifices of a particular man and mm. what he asks uh, support from his family for to give to this thing, mm. right? Do you mind? Maybe just defining what, what is a misanale for those who may not be familiar. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's a Western practice that's been introduced into Tongan culture, um, where it's also known as tithing, uh, where annual Thanksgiving is uh, takes place within churches, um, even on across the Wesleyan Church, once a year, uh, this takes place and um, donations uh, is is then uh, gifted to the church. Uh, for whatever reasons. As, as parents or grandparents, they go and when they leave Misnale or when they offer, you know, donate to the church, uh, they, they come up with this idea that it's blessings and it's for the future generation. As you know, someone like myself and, uh, and many other New Zealand born Tongans, 
it's almost seen as a, a waste of money. Um, that it's it's not the um, the fast, quick fix uh, response that we want to see, uh, and. And that's always going to be an ongoing battle. That's always going to be, uh, be, an, uh, be an issue for um, New Zealand-born Tongans to grasp the idea of misnale. There's, there's a lot of richness and value within it, um, but I think there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a long way to go in bridging the gap to understand the concept of misnale, particularly with uh, a, a third, a second, third generation of New Zealand-born Tongans. Um, you know, you, you'll see it that we've now, we now see a lot of Tongans moving away from the traditional churches mm. um, and going into the cafe church, like, you know, and uh, because there's no responsibility there. Uh, and, um, you know, as, as someone who's still in the traditional church, uh, yep, I see, I see value, but also I, under, I understand the, the reasons why our young people are leaving. This may be controversial. Everything cultural related is financial related. Um, everything that's uh, that involves the concept of culture will always involve money, and that's what our young people are facing today. Because I know that within the background that you have, like they don't have misnali, but they have something else, mm. and they spend quite a bit as well on that. Do you mind maybe commenting on that? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in with a Mormon background, and so I feel like is Koliji uh, the same as misnali or not? The way that Lehona frames it. Don't know. Oh. But I mean, Koliji is is kind of the maybe the equivalent that Leo Hona has. Mm. But it's still a lot of money, especially from from outside of Tonga that is that is being raised for for Leohona High School. Mm. I don't know, but like for me, so my grandparents' generations my my grandparents' generation was very strict about gambling. Mm. You know, they wouldn't even let their kids or grandchildren even touch playing cards because you know Mormons are against gambling but maybe there's a deeper a deeper kind of route for my grandparents to be so strict about gambling because you know being in Tonga for as long as I was there for 17 months you know I didn't see a huge problem of of gambling you know you see bingo in town um, there's like localized bingo at specific houses within villages but as far as a huge problem of gambling I I didn't see it and maybe I was just blind to it but I feel like the generation before during the time of my grandparents mm. where you know they they were very adamant that even the use of playing cards in non-gambling settings was was still was not allowed for their children and for their for their grandchildren. So I think one of the, the problems is that gambling, it, it depends on the activity, whether it's a collective game or an individual space. And the majority of the time, um, we as Pacific people, particularly Tongans, 
um, will never address the individual problems as a result of gambling because we're not used to that. You know, we, we're so used to just addressing a collective approach, good or bad. But when it comes to individuals, we, we, we tend to um, ignore it. Um, and the fact that we, uh, we know of so many times who have a gambling addiction, and yet we don't address it unless it becomes a wider issue that it has impacts within the families or communities. That's when it becomes problematic. But when it reaches that stage, it becomes too late. And so um, it's funny because um, when, we, when, I, when I see Tongans engage in gambling, you know, we talk about Tongans being a very collective society. And yet when they're in the gambling space and mentality, they become very individualistic. So, for example, if they put in $20 and you win 40 or you win 60 you automatically, they shift from collective and go into individual because, in, well, the question is how? Um, and they put the money back in mm. and double or nothing, right? So you're going in as a collective because, you know, you, you put in $20 with the hope to win money to contribute to whatever your family or whatever cultural responsibility. And then you win the money. Automatically, you shift from collective to individual. And then once you lose, which is nine times out of ten, you blame the collective for encouraging you to come into the gambling space and lose money. And so that, and that's where a lot of our... Like, you know, you go into the gambling space, you, you will see Tongan people sit there and pray. You'll see Tongan people sit there and rub the machine with the hope to have a lucky hand. But once they lose, you hear all these tongue and good words come out from the you know as a result of losing their money. And then it doesn't help that they go in with credit cards and start drawing out money from savings and other accounts that just you know you automatically you sit there and go, man, you're gonna wake up tomorrow with no breakfast. And at the end of the day, who suffers? The kids. And so as a result of trying to meet demands within cultural responsibilities, which is a, a whole concept of fatongia. We have all this stuff with gambling, right? Where mm. all these different reasons where you have these high stakes of wanting to be able to give big but then as soon as you start winning, you're saying that then people become individualistic mm. around it. And so they're kind of leveraging both being individual and collective depending on what the outcomes are, mm. it sounds like, yeah. And the, you know, the, the narrative is you want a big outcome in order to give big to these different responsibilities culturally and in the community. Um, and definitely, like you mentioned, right, like once people are in this context, like here in, in New Zealand, Right. There's a different access to to services or yeah. you know to gamble or whatever, and even online or whatever. Yep. But like, there's another thing you looked at in your research as well, right? Of that, you know, even though this new problem gambling and addiction is maybe a, a recent phenomenon or a recent issue, gambling seems to have existed before, right? So what was the, some of the stuff you found there? 
Yeah. And, I, I and, some, and maybe the differences between the old school kind of gambling yeah. and then maybe what's going on now. Yeah, well, back in Tonga, you know, they, although it wasn't regarded to be gambling, but there were gambling elements within traditional games. For example, um, the game of Sika, the throwing of the javelin or the stick. Very competitive, right? And, and so there was also, you know, within gambling, these, um, I think these key uh, elements that, that needs to be invo um, involved to encapsulate what gambling looks like. And one of them is rewards and risk, right? And as Tongans, so as, as you know, the game Seeker, there was, it was carried out by his um, sons of noble chiefs. And there was also always rewards when you have these young men throwing the Seeker and aiming at a tree. And that reward would either be land, woman, food, whatever. Um, Although the game hasn't been transferred here into Aotearoa or other diaspora commu uh, communities, but the behaviour has. And that's where I'm trying to address is that there are certain um, behaviours in Tonga um, where our ancestors of my parents' generation have been transferred to New Zealand um, and then amplified as a result of Western activities. Gambling, um, casino gambling. Um, you know, you got so you got the pokies, the TAB. Um, you know, these are all um, activities that have been amplified where our people um, are so used to. Hence, why they they just engage straight into it because it, these are they can they can see similarities within some of the traditional games that were carried out back in time. Um, you got the Sika, you got the um, La Fonga, uh, which is the which is almost like lawn bowls. So you know you got people who roll out a mat and then get the coconut shell and just roll it down. And then you have you you know you got people watching and all that kind of stuff. But so the game stays the same, but the the behaviour of it, the competitiveness within our nature, is transferred to gambling. And you see it with Matemaatonga, right? Hence why we say we pride ourselves of Matemaatonga. And when we see the likes of Jason Dalmalo, because he took a risk. And so he transferred the behavior of, of sacrificing money from the Kiwis and then started playing for his country. The same risk, that mentality, that behavior is evident across gambling behaviors. So I, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to start. Let's get another cup. Hmm? Was the pyramid schemes during the time of your PhD or not? No, thank God. Because it was huge in Tonga. Pretty. And somebody asked me if I wanted to put in a thousand, and I was like, I don't know anybody here. Like, I ain't, <coughs> ain't going to get my return. And then I um, I saw that here in New Zealand, it was, it was, it started to be a big thing. And then I started seeing stuff on Facebook of there's specific churches that were they were kind of the driver for these pyramid schemes of using, you know, church doctrine in, in order to try to get people to yeah. to get on of paying, you know, this much money and get this yeah. much money. Back. Yeah. Well, you have you had influential tongues um, leading that space and pushing our people to sacrifice 
whatever funds they had, and we know nine times out of ten, they struggled to, to have a thousand dollars cash yeah. um, in their pocket. Um, and so they were just, you know, it just didn't sit right um, with me that you have our own people. Um, you know, the fact that they were using our people as bait um, to try and meet whatever they were trying to meet. You know, so it was frustrating. And it was very, you know, the fact that it was just evident in the town community was just dumb. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. study that uh, some of the men talked about how um, donating money to the church is also seen as a gamble as well because you know they were so used to seeing the tangible outcomes and goals uh, that uh, you know within gambling activities you put money in and you see money come out at times uh, whereas the church this whole idea of putting money into the church and then you get blessings out of it. And whether that blessing is immediate or is it, if it's long term, uh, that's the mentality of our, of my, my parents' generation. And, and that's uh, a big problem within the younger generation. And that's only because we're so used to seeing tangible stuff um, within Pacific groups. Uh, Samoans were the gamblers, Tongans were the problem gamblers. So those who were of Tongan descent were gambling, were more at risk in developing problem gambling behaviours than any other Pacific group in New Zealand. And, and that's due to uh, the, the fact that uh, you know, the willing heart, um, the whakapapa, the Mamahi Mea, the Lototo, and the Tohubaha, not as a result of the game, not during the gambling, but after the gambling. So, you know, it's, for example, you'll see families who will donate or gift $2,000 to show respect, to show their whakapapa, a willing heart, Mamahi Mea, Tohubaha. People will ask where did you get their money from? Gambling. And so, that's where that's where the problem is. So what what were like your suggestions at you know at the end of this stuff? Like what were you? Because I know you're coming out of like population health or public health, right? Public health. So usually there's like recommendations and whatever. So what were some of the recommendations that? One one of the key recommendations was to inform industry, particularly Sky City and other gambling venues, to talk more about. Pacific understandings to why we gamble, um, and also to go ethnic specific in ways to address gambling behaviors because a lot of the time we homogenize Pacific, and yet Samoans are different from Tongans, and Fijians are different from Manawatu and Solomon Islands. And so, uh, you know, and majority of the time, and we all know this, they, they tend to take a Samoan approach because. A lot of our Samoan people are in this space. So that's from an industry perspective, is to kind of address the different cultures, but also from a family perspective, is to have courageous conversations with young people. 
about gambling. And it's about time that we open up the can of worms within the center of topics. It's, um, we tend to use values to suppress our ideas uh, and our thoughts in ex uh, talking about sensitive topics and gambling just being one of them. Yeah. So uh, it is, you know, both recently the Tonga community has come um, come forward and become open to talk about source. Uh, it's about time that we talk about our own issues and not have a white man come and just because he's done research on it that doesn't mean he's come with the right ideas. And we know for sure that uh, it takes a Tongan to come in and, and do the research or do whatever evidence-based uh, to come in and, and talk to our people regarding our own issues. Yeah. And so uh, I think, um, and I use the Faikawa. The Faikawa is also a, recommend, a recommendation as a space where males have an opportunity to talk uh, and if they struggle to talk about the gambling behaviours at home, at least there's a space for them to kind of be open about it. Um, so, amongst many others, there was a, some key recommendations in the nutshell. Alright, so last one. Just to give a highlight to stuff to for people to look out for. Mm. You know, what it you know, in dealing with kind of sensitive topics, what um, what are some other ones that you're interested in looking at in the future, and why do you think they're important to address in the community? Um, right now, I'm putting in a proposal, uh, get some funding to explore Pacific male uh, understandings of digital harms and well-being as a result of COVID-19. <laughs> Not even that, but before. You know, COVID pretty much exacerbated a lot of things. Uh, we, we see a spike or a significant increase of excessive uh, pornography consumption, um, online gaming and gambling, and social media addiction. Um, so, looking at digital harms, and the funny thing is that a lot of there's a perception in the communities that, that anything related to digital as a young person problem, yet everyone has a digital device, almost, whether it's a laptop, a computer, or, or a smartphone. And so, um, I'll, be, I'll be doing this, um, I'm proposing to do an intergenerational study, looking at Pacific males across the country, um, and their understandings of uh, experiences of porn, porn addiction, social media addiction, online gaming and gaming addiction. Um, sort of topics that no one wants to talk about and yet we all know about it. And nine times out of ten, everyone's on involved. COVID pretty much um, spiked everything as a result of being on lockdown and, you know, we were all locked to our screens. And we were also exploring a lot of things using digital devices. So, you know, you can just imagine if we were exploring digital stuff in, here in, in New Zealand, the impacts and, and consequences that was having in the Pacific region. Um, and so, you know, for example, in 2017, some data came out from Pornhub, and within the top 10, number four, the top four searches in, in New Zealand 
was Psalm 1. And so, you know, uh, let's be honest, it's not, not Balangi people searching Psalm 1. It's Pacific people searching Psalm 1 on Puma. And, um, and then you have little incidents that are taking place on social media where uh, sexual acts are taking place and they're being uploaded online creating an, a norm for people to believe that whatever it's online is normal. And I think my biggest challenge that I'm, I'll put forward to the Pacific communities is that we, we've got to stop using our cultural values as an excuse not to talk about sensitive topics. Um, the likes of respect and humility, tawhiwaha and a willing heart. If anything, Queen Salati would have been open about it. If, if anyone wants to have challenged that, my, my challenge is to unpack some of her poems, which has a lot of sexual connotations on it in some of her songs. And so, and she only does that in a metaphoric way. And yet, the issues that we see with our young people today, particularly with domestic violence, sexual violence, child abuse, as a result of some of the addictive behaviors that we see today. So, in a nutshell, we're, we're now moving away from alcohol and drugs, although that's still evident. But the online addictive behaviors is, gonna ha is having a, a, a detrimental effect uh, within our communities that we serve. And no one's willing to address it, and yet everyone knows about it. Mm. So, if, it's, if I'm not going to do it, then everyone's going to rely on, on a white person to come and do it. And then we will get angry about it. It's like, it's about time. It's quite time that as a result of COVID, we have the, we have the opportunity to shed light into some of these online addictive behaviors.